this is Heather, and you're listening to Simply Healed with Heather Leonard. Today's episode is support, not as easy as it sounds. This episode is because I have had so many requests for this topic, and I'm super excited about it because guess what? It's not as easy as it sounds. So let's get right into everything today, and thanks so much for joining, guys. So this episode is about caregivers, it's about support, it's about when you find out that somebody you love has had a a big loss, or somebody that you love, I mean really, if they found out that they have a big disease, cancer, or any other major illness, it's still grief and loss. I've talked about this before, but I really want to point that out here, that we kind of really are just dealing with how to support people through loss. So if the loss is from finding out that they have cancer, either way, what do you do to support that? And what's gonna get accepted versus what's gonna feel icky to the person? That's so hard, right? Because none of us are walking in someone else's shoes, so it's really hard to figure out how something is gonna be received. We can only base it on how we would receive something, and often the way we would receive something is not the same as the next person. So this is where I think it gets really kind of sticky and weird sometimes, because we try to offer what we would want, and what we would want might not be what they would want. So my first tip here is trying that empathetic rollout of really trying to walk in their shoes, but not you putting their shoes on. I mean, truly trying to like be them in their shoes, which is a little different, right? You're like thinking about if I was Susie and I just found out my child had cancer, then what? Because you, with your life experiences, with your support um, around you, and that's not what they're dealing with. So it's really important to try to plop yourself right into their world and then think what in that situation would I then want if I was her so that's where it gets really tricky Um, I actually wrote a whole book just on this and so that's why I was like dragging my feet a little bit about doing this podcast because I wasn't sure how much to put in here that was already in the book In the end, I just decided it's important and it needs to be shared and we need to talk about it. So I don't, um, I might even just start over on the book front and not even make this um, the topic, but rather just um, a little point of conversation because I think it's just so important to get out there. Um, This is the place where I feel like I had so much of it and accepted none of it. I'm a really good person to speak on this topic because I really and truly did have a lot of people around me that wanted to support me and I had my arm out straight saying, nope, can't. And there's a reason for that. So in our situation, my husband and I and our two children lived our life just our way. It was just us. We rarely ever accepted help. We rarely ever did things with others even. It was like just the four of us in our own little world. And that's very, very different than other people who are really used to regularly having people come and go from their you know, their home or um, even just the phone calls and the outreach and stuff. For us, we just really loved it just being us. And I know that's a hard thing for some people to really understand. And it's almost as though it was a gift for us, right? We had the 
um, time. I don't feel as if I missed out on anything having lost my husband to cancer a year ago because we had 22 full years. And when I say full years, it wasn't like he went off golfing and I went shopping and then, you know, we had dinner together and then went to bed. It wasn't like that at all. Our life was really immersed. Just, it was, no matter what, if you have a best friend and you want to do stuff with that best friend. And so we were just fortunate enough to have that be our relationship. So yeah, we did have our individual things where he went golfing with the guys and I went shopping with the girls. Absolutely. Um, but whenever we could, and I mean, you would just, anybody that knows him, I'm sure there's people laughing right now listening to this because they know him. And it was like the second it was done, he was the first guy in the car and out the door and ready to go just because he was excited that if he could still see the kids and have a little fun with them before they went to bed that night or, you know, him and I have a movie night or whatever it was, it was like he was looking forward to that half of his day just as much as anything else, which is really kind of cool. But now if you take a family like ours, and you plunk a, a major disease in the middle of it. People were a little upset with us for the little bit that we shared, because I think it really came as a big surprise to a lot of people. Uh, that stuff is really deep and layered, really deep and layered. You never know why a family is choosing to keep things quiet. Um, oftentimes, it's, it's an information issue. When we first got a cancer diagnosis, it took us a while one, to even just digest that ourselves, but two, to get the right answers so that when we told people, it wasn't some mass panic over nothing. Um, so first it started for us with an MRI that showed tumors. And I think the only, I mean, I remember calling my brother as almost like the first call I made. And beyond that, it was like hospital, hospital, hospital. I was just trying to get him an appointment and desperately trying to get the answers and in the right hands that could help us. Um, but at that point felt really premature to let anybody in. So if you know somebody went in for an MRI or blood work or they had a concern or a mammogram or, you know, a prostate check or whatever it is, I would just encourage you to hold off on asking how that went. <laughs> um, because I think we're, we say it to be kind and to show that we're interested and concerned. But what happens is immediately, let's say there was something questionable seen and you need to come back in or something like that. The person might not want to share that yet. So how do you be supportive, but yet maintain those boundaries and give them space? That's very hard know your person. That would be my best advice on this front. Because if you know this is a person who loves to talk about their stuff, that might be very different than if you know that the person that you love holds things tight to their chest. Um, with the people that hold it really close and tight, I would say, just let them know, hey, just so you know, I don't, you know, I never want to put you on the spot, but I know you had some tests today. Just want you to know I support you totally. And if you need to talk about anything, just let me know. Something even like that is enough to be like, okay, now they, they know you're in their corner, but you're not forcing it down their throat. You're not asking a direct question that's going to put them on the defensive where they don't want to lie to you, but they also can't give you all the information yet because they don't have all the information yet. It's just, it's a really touchy thing. So this is just even talking about starting with diagnosis, how to support, right? Because right off the bat, there's this whole shift and you might just recognize even they seem different or they're setting up more follow-up appointments 
things like that that have you a little on the concern. Um, or maybe they did flat out tell you, hey, I had this um, spot that showed up and now I have to go back and get follow-up tests or whatever. What I would suggest is to continually offer that your support is there, but not necessarily force that support upon them. Here's what I mean by that. People that, um, and I can't say this like across the board because again, this is just like grief and as a whole, it's like up and down a roller coaster of like, yes, I want that. No, I don't. So it's hard to say, like I could tell you don't just drop off a meal because it might not, you know, be something that they can deal with. Now they've got a dish to have to get rid of and they, it, it sometimes just that will like set them off. Like I, I can't have another lasagna this week and I can't, I don't know what to do with the pan. I don't have any room in my freezer. I, now I have to wash the dishes or whatever. But for me, that's, it was kind of that at a certain point, but, but more so it was easier when there was simple things cause I had young children. So consider again, the person that you're trying to support, um, who would happily eat pizza seven days a week. So dropping off a pizza where I don't have to then worry about the dishes or, um, what to do with the leftovers or where to store it until we're ready to eat it or whatever. It could just be like a sit down and, and eat or anybody else that happened to be at the house. That's another thing to consider. Like a lot of people were coming and going, so it wasn't just us eating. Like, so anybody could have grabbed a piece of pizza and, you know, it could have like helped me feed my guests, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but sometimes like, and if you're going to drop something off, trying to do it in a disposable dish, this, these are little things, but trust me when you are spiraling out of control, they feel major to the person who's trying to hold everything together. Sometimes these little like details of like, ah, I can't remember who dropped this off or whose dish this is or who's, uh, I had all kinds of things. I mean, I still have things laying around and this was over a year ago, um, that I just, I still don't know whose they were. Um, if it was something they needed back, uh, or who dropped it off at all, which is terrible. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one thing. If the person is somebody who really does typically have a lot of people around them supporting them or they're, that's like sort of their norm or they're super supportive to you, like, cause usually people put out there what they like. So like, I, I don't come off super supportive to my friends probably because I don't like that. So that's how I am. Um, I always let people know I'm there. I offer, but that's it. I don't ever just like tend to drop off plants or, um, food or what I do it occasionally. If I know the person's already receptive to it, that's different. But, um, but I don't always come off as like the person who's going to just um, show up and do. I'm not gonna just show up and clean your kitchen because I don't like it when people do that for me, which sounds crazy, I know this, but we are all so different and it's our life experiences that make up how we receive or don't receive stuff like this. So um, I am just going back through because there were so many different phases. So there was diagnosis, which I just talked about. Then there is the the sick part of a diagnosis. So if you have somebody who's actually really ill and you're wanting to know what can I do to support them, one thing is to remember that people are at a high risk during these illnesses. So a lot of people in and out isn't always advised. So one thing you could do if you wanted to pay them a visit is to wear a mask. They can always tell you you don't need to wear that, but then that's their choice. Um, 
make sure you wash your hands as soon as you come into their house. Let them see you do that. It's just like the little things like that that I think help. Um, especially people that probably have a sick young child. I can only imagine that's a whole nother level. Um, but yeah, wash your hands as soon as you come in. Take your shoes off because that way you're not bringing in any germs from outside in and you're not creating more work for them to have to vacuum up because I will tell you, I never said anything to anybody, but I constantly had to vacuum, hand sanitize, wipe down everything every time somebody came and left. So um, those are the things you don't want to be adding more by trying to offer your support. So it's little, but it is important. Um, I would say like if I, I talk about this sometimes with my friends, because when it was time for like, well, what do you need? What can we bring you? Because some people did just ask like that. And of course, I it's like you don't want to be a burden. So I always said, oh, no, we're okay. So just that doesn't necessarily mean they don't need anything. But sometimes it could just mean like, I don't want to put you out. But if you're like, if you're already going to the grocery store and you're getting um, juice boxes for your kids school lunch that week, grab an extra box of juice boxes because those are the things they're probably forgetting about. And this sounds silly, but like a book of stamps. That's such a huge gift. I would have taken that over like a dinner any day of the week because we had that, you know, at a certain point, there will be people that are going to be bringing meals no matter what that'll happen. But when was the last time you dropped off a book of stamps at your friend's house? But I bet they still have bills to pay. And I bet they don't want to be leaving, you know, their loved one and having to not just go to the grocery store, but then go to the post office, you know, things like that. Like even on your way out after visiting saying, hey, do you have any mail that you want me to to drop at the post office tomorrow for you? Do you um, want me, you know, if you're if you're close, if this is your sister and you guys have always been close and that it's normal for you to just jump in and help, then, you know, do the things like laundry, do the things like, you know, those things that they just probably have been letting pile up and not gotten to. But I still think it, it's tough unless you know your person to just meet them where they really need you to be. There's just no way that you could ever understand all the little intricate things that make up, you know, why a person feels a certain way. But, uh, but at the bottom of it all, you want to help them and they need the help, but they, their world is like shaken up. So it's, you have to just roll with their roller coaster not take personal offense to anything they say. Um, I was like, yes. And then as soon as it started happening, no. Like every time I could, it was like, I want it. I don't want it. I don't, I do. And, and people couldn't even keep up with it. I'm sure because it changed so much, but there was so much changing in my world. And last episode, we talked about control. This is a huge component of it. This is when the control starts to just sift through, like, you know, you're like, you're in a str pasta strainer, you know, the, all the control just drains right out. And if you have any element, you're struggling to hold on to it. So I don't know. I, it's so hard. I don't want to blanket say something that I strongly feel where it could be the exact opposite of somebody else. I'll give you an example. Like, Let's say, well, actually, I don't even feel this way, but I'll just use it as an example, like mowing someone's lawn. My, I mean, my lawn is a disaster. Let's just say that. My husband used to stripe our lawn years ago. He, that was like his thing. He used to do like landscaping and when he, we were in college on summer breaks. So 
I find it hilarious that our lawn turned into this big patch of moss and rocks and like <laughs> it was really go it was awful but um, at least a few times a year it needed to be mowed because there was grass in there and you know we had a lot of ticks and everything else but I'm gonna use the example of Jeff next door who has this pristine lawn that is like you know has a nice striped whatever and fancy plants and all the stuff well if you were to just say oh poor Jeff, like I know how much he loves his lawn. I'm just going to help him out and mow it for him. Oh, there's so much there, right? Like this could be his one release that he really enjoys that can get him out of the house. You don't know. Um, also, it could be that the reason it's still sitting there and getting longer and longer is because he could have anybody just mow it. He probably has like a neighbor next door who has a 12 year old that could come over and, and give it a quick mow. But maybe the reason it's still sitting there like that is because he doesn't want to do it unless he can do it well and right in the way he really likes it done. So you don't want to take his one, you know, his pride and joy lawn and do it your way just to get it done for him and think you're doing him a big favor because he's going to say thank you. He's going to be appreciative and he's going to be completely stressed out that now the lawn looks like garbage and, you know, he didn't realize that this rock was over here and he didn't go around. It didn't getting the edges, I don't know, whatever. He's probably really fancy-pantsy with whatever he does with his lawn to make it look so beautiful. And um, and it's hard, and you don't want to put people in an awkward position because they're already dealing with a lot. And it's hard. So, like, the help is wanted, I'm sure, but giving them the opportunity to choose in what way they get it is probably way more valuable. And if they're never taking you up on offers to do things for them, just continuously checking in. My favorite person uh, during my husband's cancer battle was somebody who they themselves was dealing with cancer, but they reached out almost every day just to check in and see how things were. It was like really brief, just, hey, thinking of you this morning, you don't have to write back, just wanted you to know like prayers are with you, or like not even the like sending prayers and love your way, because sometimes that's like a redundant, almost sounds like cliche and not not really authentic anymore because once you've heard it so many times but like so she would say different things like sometimes it was like a bible quote even because they were very religious or she would say like some little like hope quote for the day something or some little thing she had heard like a positive outcome someone had had or like she would say oh remember that god can create a miracle in a day or like there was so many little things that she said and i don't even know uh if she realizes just how special it was to me, but like just, just kept me in the right mindset and you know, like full speed ahead, it's going to be fine, just have trust, just faith, whatever. And that for me was everything. That made me feel like somebody's with me on this journey. And it was, I mean, it was simple. We didn't see each other through the whole thing. Um, COVID was a big concern during that time and that's probably why for me with the masks and the hand sanitizer, all that was like a bigger deal but just in general like not having so it was like not intrusive I didn't have to worry about whether you know my kids had dumped their clothes on the floor and the house was a disaster um, it was but I was like she might as well have been in the room every day every morning and it felt good it felt not so isolating and lonely um, I think that those reach outs and not um, needing responses so Sometimes when we send texts, it's like, hey, how are things this morning? That's like, now it's on my to-do list. I have to remember to text back so-and-so. 
That And that sounds crazy. I know it does. But you are managing every second of your day. I mean, I barely had time to go pee. That's just the way it was. It was like, nope, I needed to care for this person all the time. Now, I'm talking about when, you know, we were closer to like, not a hospice situation, but like really needing full care. Earlier on when we were like healthy battling, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, at that point, it I probably still would have felt the same way because the doctor appointments are unbelievable with a major diagnosis. Um, some diagnoses like, um, for instance, I have an autoimmune disorder. So things like that, those, they're like fewer and far between and that kind of support might not be quite, you know, not as much support is needed as much as just knowing you have someone in your corner and that they understand. And then, you know, if there's any diet changes and stuff like that, being a good friend that like really checks in on that stuff. And, um, you know, if they're coming over to your house, just says, hey, um, any special dietary stuff that you want me to do with dinner or um, certain drinks or whatever, you know, asking those things just shows a genuine interest and, um, you know, like you're looking out for the person. So that's always um, a beautiful gift. But yeah, when we were in the sicker part, when you have somebody that you're really needing 24 hour a day care, or even if it's not 24 hours a day, but um, you know, once major functions start to go, like if they can't walk, if they're not sitting, going sit to stand on their own, um, if they need help transferring to a toilet, if they need help um, eating, drinking, or getting their own food prepared, things like that. Once you're in that, that level of need, I think just the check-ins are really so nice. Um, I don't think that you'd ever hear anybody complain that they're being checked in on too much, right? But like I said, I think just the, not the open-ended, like, how are you? Or um, how are things this morning? Any updates? Like, all that stuff is work. And I, so, I sound so awful. You guys might not like me by the end of this podcast. I'm starting to think I'm going to sound like I'm a real, you know what? But it's not that. I just want to be so open and honest. Because these, I want to tell you the things that people don't say, but they feel and they think. Because how would you know unless you've been through it? And and it's not the same for everybody, so I'm definitely not speaking for everyone, but I'm literally putting out there um, about as bad as it could be because <laughs> that was me. I was literally just the hardest person to support because I felt like I was being swallowed by the earth. I literally felt that, I mean, the toilet bowl, I will always use that example. I was in that toilet bowl, but I was, the whole earth was sucking down on top of me and I just couldn't climb out. And we were in a position that was different than a lot of people's. But, but then another thing to consider is what they do for work. Um, if they're in the public eye, if they manage people, um, all of these things come into play because for my husband, he never wanted the people that worked for him to see him as less than capable. He always wanted them to know I am of full sound mind and fully capable of still doing my job. And he didn't want sickness to undermine that, if that makes any sense. Because in our book, this was going to, listen, 2% chance, fine, we got it. That was always our way, didn't matter. Give me like a half a percent chance. And my husband was going to be the one to be that half percent. 
and do it and be fine and recover. So we never fully committed to being sick. Let's put it that way. We really thought someday he's going back. And when he does, he didn't want it to hurt any of his chances. Um, he always wanted to be a CEO of a bank and that was the next step for him. And he didn't want anything to undermine that. It was like, no, I, I don't want people to ever worry or have a concern in their mind that this is coming back or that this is, that he's not, you know, a full sound mind or anything like that. It was so important. So that led to a whole nother level of nobody knew. The few people that knew were our closest friends and family. And even then it, the information was only as needed. It, he, my husband did not want everything being blown up bigger than it was. And with cancer, nobody knows how big it is, even the doctors. So it was like, if they're telling us, oh, well, we think this, to him it's like, well, we don't know. They think it's still not at a level where I'm gonna be like, no. We're not gonna go down this path of like, you know, the episode I did on seeing yourself sick. He was like, I am not seeing myself sick. If they say like, if even if they had said 50% of his body was covered in tumors, he's hearing 50% of my body is healthy and well. It was, his mindset was so, so healthy in that way that he was just not going to go down a path of like, you know, he would make the changes and do the stuff and the treatments. But at the same time, he held firm that I am not going to allow people to see me as a sick person. I'm not going to see myself as a sick person. I'm going to continue to do until I can't. So when we're in that mindset and we're, we're treating it in that way, it was isolating for me. I'm sure it was isolating for him, but it was like by his own choice versus me, who was somebody who would have wanted a, another layer of support. So he was more independent. I was a little bit more needy for support. Um, and I think that's because I was the caregiver, truth be told. I think if I had been going through the cancer myself, I think I probably would have been the same. I didn't want, in, like, I wouldn't have wanted information in people's hands until I was positive. I wouldn't have wanted people talking about it. I, I would have wanted to just keep as much positive vibration around me as possible um, and keep things normal as long as I possibly could have, right? I think, why don't we take a quick break here because it's a great place to do that, but don't go anywhere because when I get back, I'm gonna talk about grief support and really how to be that friend that everybody wants to lean on. So don't go anywhere. A little bit about Care Partners. Care Partners is made up of a growing grassroots group of individuals who are currently caregivers, have been caregivers, or desire to support caregivers in the important role that they play within the community. Care Partners' mission, connection, support, and community for caregivers and their families. Advocacy for the needs of caregivers and their families. Resources, comprehensive and easy access. Education on all aspects of caregiving, especially the importance of self-care. Care Partners' goals include once a month, 90-minute workshop. The first 60 minutes of the workshop will explore a topic of interest and relevance to caregivers, and the remaining 30 minutes of the time will focus on self-care activity for the caregiver. The first workshop will be held on Saturday, June 4th from 10.30 to noon at the Downtown Gym in Laconia, New Hampshire. Tentative topic, speaker, awaiting confirmation. REAP, Referral, Education, Assistance, and Prevention is one of 10 New Hampshire community mental health centers. Bi-yearly, all day, caring for the caregivers event. The next event will be in November, date to be determined. 
Care Partners sees life as a dance of care. Sometimes we are the ones giving the care and sometimes we are the ones receiving the care. It is a continuous circle of care. Founders of Care Partners, Janine Page, RN, health coach and owner of the downtown gym, Cheryl Gothier, yoga instructor and teacher, owner of Yoga from the Heart and SAG Accounting, Claire Pearson, OT, Reiki practitioner and teacher and mindfulness meditation practitioner and teacher. And guys, I can just not say enough about this group because I, you might actually see me popping up and giving some um, community lectures. And it is just an awesome group of people who have an amazing mission. And I just wanted to make sure that I advertised for them and let everybody know just how amazing they are. And back to the show. All right, guys. So as promised, let's get into this a little bit. How the heck do we support somebody who is grieving a major loss? This is no easy task for anybody. Um, my brother was my main support person after losing my husband. Uh, they were best friends and he was there when he passed. He was there through all the, the tough cancer treatments in the hospital right by bedside. And yet still him and I ended up somehow arguing shortly after the loss of my husband because, listen, you're not dealing with somebody who's necessarily all dealing with a full deck of cards at that time. I mean, I'm making light of it, but in all honesty, it's as though your whole world has now shifted and you're looking at it through different lenses. You're feeling like you're in a spiral and like common sense doesn't always um, rise above, you know, it's like the ugly parts of us can sometimes surface and it is a little bit of a selfish time, but I definitely encourage anybody who's trying to support somebody through something really major like this, just to allow them the grace of just doing it ugly, <laughs> doing it however they need to do it, pushing you in, pushing you in, pushing you away and then pulling you in. It is kind of like a pushing you in. <laughs> it's like you just don't know what you're going to get um, each time you deal with the person and just making that okay and acceptable for them. I was trying to juggle my own emotional state and my kids and then dealing with all the stuff that comes after, especially if you're a spouse or um, a child helping to deal with a parent's um, finances and all of this, the funeral arrangements and all this stuff. Um, there's a lot going on. So it's not like you're always reasonable. That would be my best advice is to just just not walk on eggshells around them, but truly just accept them for where they're at at any given moment. It's not going to always make logical sense. You know, I would say, yeah, let's get together and then no, please don't come. It was like, I just, I didn't know what I needed. Um, I definitely know that for a long time after, I wasn't really great with people in my space. Uh, there's still a jar of salsa in my refrigerator that's over a year old that's just sitting there and needs to be tossed. And I, things like that give me anxiety that anybody else coming into the house wouldn't know that. And they would just take care of it and toss it in the trash if they saw something with an old expiration date like that. Um, you know, there's, there's still some of his dirty laundry in my hamper that I just, I like seeing it there because it feels like he's still a part of our active every day. Um, some of this you just can't even explain. And there's things I don't even know that I probably wouldn't even know are there, but they give me comfort. <laughs> and that's why I've not probably taken care of it yet. Um, I just don't know that I want to keep having to explain that story yet over and over again. And so for a while, it was like I just needed my own space around things. 
other people might not want to be alone at all. Uh, some people want to sleep on the couch for a while, aren't ready to return to their bed. Uh, I don't know. There's all kinds of things. I mean, they do say this is where oftentimes people become hoarders because they don't, they're unable to let go of the, the things. And listen, I mean, this is just advice for anybody going through grief. It's not about the things, you know, holding on to the stuff isn't going to bring them back. And it might give you comfort um, sleeping with an item of their clothing or whatever it is that's going to get you through the next thing. And I think as caregivers, people need to be okay with that. But there, there's also the piece where as people who are grieving, we need to come out of that fog because otherwise it's not just one life that was lost. It's now two lives that were lost. So we can't stay in that fog and in that cloud of grief for too long. Um, and I think it is an important thing for our support people to notice when it's maybe creeping into the too long category. It's a really fine line though, I will tell you that, because grief never ends. It's ongoing and it will wear different faces and, and sometimes have a pretty bow and other times be really ugly. And it's not up to the people supporting the person grieving to decide when it's been too long and all right, it's time to move on. Oh, don't ever say that to anybody. There are a lot of cliches out there, but moving on is definitely one I've heard from more grief coaching clients and uh, just people in passing that they hate. <laughs> so don't say that, <laughs> please. It's not, they're not words that anybody wants to hear because who wants to move on? We don't, uh, we do want to move forward um, with that person still in our lives. And I believe wholeheartedly they are still in our lives. And I know I get a little redundant on this at times, but I never know if somebody's just catching this episode for the first time and not heard me say it before. But um, I always say that I was, my husband is the monkey at the table who is sitting with his mouth covered up. And then my kids and I are sitting at the table with our ears and eyes covered up. And it's a very, very frustrating dynamic for all parties involved. So we just pretend he's still there and he can't talk. And we can't hear him. We can't see him. And it's frustrating. He can see us. He can hear us. So let's use that to our advantage. You know, that's sort of how we look at things. And by doing that, it gives us that freedom to, like, be upset, but then also know, like, if if he was just sitting there at the table next to us and we were like crying over missing him, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So we kind of use that to our advantage of just like getting into a space of, all right, he's coming with us. It's not the same. It doesn't look the same, feel the same. It's frustrating. It's just as it would be if you lost your voice when you have a bad cold or, um, you know, there are people that can't see, there's people that can't hear and have that experience all the time and they find ways to still experience the world. So we try to find our own ways and I definitely teach that in my grief coaching. There's there's ways that I can still sort of feel and sense my husband around me that helps. So I like to just pass along what I hear in my grief coaching because I think it'll help you to understand better, but I hear it nonstop from people that a conversation eventually happens where people are telling them that they are not yet moved on to a level that they think they should be. And I just really caution you around that. It's a, it's a fine line. I do think as a support person and, you know, 
if you really do love this person, you don't want to see them stuck in their grief, maybe suggest something like coaching. I'm not just saying that because I'm a coach and I want you to buy my services. I'm saying like maybe you could even suggest, hey, maybe somebody can help you. I mean, maybe they need a counselor. Maybe they need a little more than just a coach. But um, wherever they're at, just finding somebody that can sort of help them get some cool tools and techniques and things that are just going to make it a little lighter and a little easier because you don't want them to end up being a hoarder with their, you know, where they can't even allow people into their space because it's just a mess of holding on to things and not being able to let go and process. Um, and you also want them to be participating in life. As I said, you don't want to lose them as well by, uh, by somebody really getting stuck. They're just denying themselves this beautiful life experience. That's what I'm I'm getting at. And if you start, start to see it to a point where like, yeah, at this point, like it's been a long time and I'm still not seeing any improvements. Like if, even if they're going at a snail's pace, if you see little improvements, you know, that they, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but if they're showering more, if they're changing their clothes more often, if they're getting out to events more often, if they're starting to actually have conversations with other people instead of just showing up and dodging everybody, these are all little things, but they're big things. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's supportive just to even be like, hey, it's great to see you. You know, that that's supporting somebody. It doesn't have to be these major gestures of bringing them out to dinner or whatever. It could just be acknowledging that, you saw them at the, uh, you know, local diner or, you know, it was nice to see you at the basketball game or whatever. It just like letting them know, hey, we're happy to see you out. It's nice to see you. It can be just that. And just encouraging all of those little steps that they're taking because it feels little to you. It probably feels pretty major to them. I still remember the first time that I had to get out of the house. I remember the first time I had to sleep in my own bed. I remember the first, like every single first was hard and took a big build up and a lot of my emotional energy. And I was really just tipping the scale of barely being able to do these things <laughs> that most people could do real easily. But if you think about it, I mean, if you ever lost whoever it is that is most significant in your life, if you really tried to put yourself in their shoes, what that would feel like, I remember before my husband passed away thinking, if he dies from this cancer, I will never speak again. I'll never be able to get out of bed again. I was convinced. I was convinced that I, the only words I would ever utter are just to help my children, like, you know, it's time to leave, whatever, like basic, I didn't think I'd ever have a conversation again. So the mere fact that I'm now making a living out of like discussing these things with people, is just to me more evidence that there is a higher power and that this is not all just coincidence that I'm, you know, doing what I'm doing. I don't know what your person needs, but you don't know what your person needs either. If you're trying to support somebody, see where they're at, put yourself in their shoes. Empathy is the best way you can support them. And let me just be clear when I say empathy, I don't mean Oh, I completely know how you feel. Those comments don't actually help. I don't think any one of us knows how another person truly feels. Um, for some reason, that is very triggering to a lot of people from what I hear. I just did a global grief conference with a woman who was telling me that it, when people tried to empathize with her, that was for her the most frustrating thing because she felt like no one could possibly understand um, so when I say empathy, I don't mean 
telling a person that you know how they feel or can understand or um, even trying to pretend as though you get it. I just mean actually take a step of trying to put yourself in their shoes and feel it and then respond appropriately as to what you would want or what you think they would want because that's even better. As I said before, what you would want and what they would want even under the same exact circumstance are likely not the same thing. So um, yeah, that's empathy is a fine line as everything on this topic. It seems like everything you're walking on eggshells, but it's eggshells is not what people want. I know that I hear that overwhelmingly. Nobody wants to have everybody in the room treat them differently than they used to. So that one's tricky for people because there's that awkward elephant in the room and nobody's talking about it. So I always say talk about it. I mean, sure, you know your person. So there are people who don't want to talk about it and they're not in that healthy place of being able to talk about it openly that way yet. But um, I mean, the weird, awkward silences, that's definitely not helpful for anybody. It would be better off to just have some light conversation around anything. But the weird, awkward silences when you walk in the room that is felt. It's felt. Because before, the person likely was with their person, so they had someone to talk to immediately and feel comfortable walking into a, a space or a party or something. Right now, they've, they're have they likely doing it on their own. So weird awkwardness or everybody, oh, hi, how have you been? Uh, this weird tone that all of a sudden we all take on, this strange pitch that no one ever actually has when they speak. It's like... It's like oozing of empathy, but it's like not a healthy empathy. It's more like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> that's what that's what, how it feels to me. Every time I hear somebody use that pitch, I'm like, oh, you're uncomfortable. I don't, that's not my go-to person. The people that I would talk to and hang out with the most are the people who actually, for me, are the people that openly talk to me about my husband, um, openly acknowledge how much this sucks. They don't try to say fancy things. They literally will say, this just sucks. You don't deserve this. No one deserves this. This is terrible. I'm so sorry. You know, they, they're just like, yeah, this this stinks. And they're not trying to fix me. They're not trying to... When people try to offer words of encouragement, it feels really wrong. Like, nobody wants to be told. And think about it. Put yourself in, in their shoes. Like, it's not a great feeling when people say, um, you know, I'm sure they're in a better place now. Cliche, right? <laughs> they're in a better place. You can feel better about that. And nah, nah, nah. I don't feel better about that. Nope, I felt better when he was in this previous place right next to me. So, nope, that doesn't work. Or, um, oh, you look so good. I That one is tough too because it's like in, there's almost like this judgment you do on like, do you want to look as if you're just totally over this and fine and happy? Like, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing either. So don't try to blow smoke up their rear end and say things to try to comfort them and make them feel better because it's likely not going to work anyway. They probably already know they don't look like, you know, they look like a shell of the person they looked like before. They're probably not taking as good care of themselves or they look tired or like they've been crying or whatever the case may be. Don't say false compliments just to try to, like even if you are surprised to see them out and so wow, you know, it's then wow, it's great to see you. You know, not wow, you look good. I mean, it is so silly and simple sometimes, but it's so true. Like these little tiny white lies that we tell, they they actually don't help. They don't help the person. They don't really help you. It's still weird and awkward and uncomfortable. If you don't know what to say, say nothing. 
just talk to them about whatever as you normally would. I mean, if you don't feel like talking about the person or talking about the circumstance, it's still fine. I mean, you don't have to be like, oh, some weather we're having, and that's weird too. I mean, I would rather have somebody say nothing at all than to, to sound so awkward and uncomfortable speaking to me. Um, none of the like weird high-pitchy things, none of the cliches. I just think my favorite go-to people were the people who I thought really got it. And I didn't think they got it because they said, oh, I completely understand. I lost my mom last year. No, you still don't get it. I don't care if you lost your husband last year to cancer. You still don't get it because, yes, we had the exact same experience of cancer last year, husband, still not the same story, not the same circumstance. It's just I'm the people that I felt like got it I mean as in I see these couples who absolutely love each other and without the other person would be devastated those are my people because they get it they can feel in their core their empathy is real and true to me because when I look at them I know there's a person who is so in love with their partner and they know exactly what I'm feeling right now if that were to happen and they can't completely I mean there's still never a complete understanding because until you've been in those shoes like I said I thought I'd never speak so it wasn't exactly the picture I thought it would be and I had time to prepare um, and paint that picture for myself before it even happened and I didn't envision it this way but still they were my people because when they said this is so unfair and it sucks I know they got it and felt it they knew exactly what they that experience would be like for them and that felt like I was being seen and supported more than anything and I almost feel bad for these people there's like a like probably three couples that I feel this way with that I every time I see them I feel like I cry (laughs) and I mean it's probably a beautiful gift and I can tell you it is a gift because it's me telling them i trust you with this because I know you get it and see me Uh, but they've never tried to encourage me out of it they've never tried to somehow comfort me because those words I repel like nobody's business they roll off me I understand that it's all about the person and not about them really seeing and understanding me when they're saying things that are just fluff But when I see these couples that I know really get it and they just stand with me and say, this just sucks. I know they see my soul. It's like, yes, it does. And I almost always find myself breaking down in front of them because I feel safe. I feel seen. I feel heard. I know they get it. And it feels like a safe place to just express. And I don't even make this conscious acknowledgement. It just bubbles up every time they're around. So sometimes I wonder, like, what are they thinking that I'm really in a disastrous place still? Or, But you know what? Again, because I don't feel judgment around them, I don't harp on that or worry about it too much. The next time I see them, it all happens all over again. But it's such a beautiful gift. And I do think that that's the way to be the friend that everybody would want to lean on and talk to and be around when they're hurting um, or family member because really that's what we want I say it all the time we just want to be seen we want to be heard we want other people to really know our hearts and major loss is so major you want to not have to say anything at all and have the people around you totally get it and also 
not feel the need to fill the air with fluff and garbage and whatever. Be the person too that can hear their desires because I didn't often express what I needed or wanted, but um, <laughs> on the rare occasion I did, I didn't get met with what I said I needed. And that's really hard too. So there was a few times I set boundaries and said, you know, I really just can't, I need to be alone right now. Or I would call somebody and say, can you just be the quiet person on the other end? I just want to sit quietly with somebody. I don't want to talk about it right now, but I'm upset and I don't want to be alone. And I wanted them to just sit quietly with me on the phone. And they talked for like a whole hour. (laughs) And then I would say, not my person. <laughs> Next time when that's the need I have, I have a different person. And then I have other people when I just need a good laugh or whatever. I know which people to call on for those moments or different experiences, you know. And and it is good to have a toolbox of all those different types of people in your life. But I would say if you're trying to figure out how to support somebody, one of the best ways, be your authentic self. Experience it how you're really experiencing it. If you have a memory that you want that comes up that you want to share with a person about the person, just because they cry when you talk about it doesn't mean, oh my gosh, I'm being a terrible support person and now I've created all this grief for them. They are experiencing that grief 100% of the time. And typically people aren't seeing it because they're having to function and do and whatever. If you actually see them cry in response to something you say or do, you are not causing them additional grief. It's actually quite the opposite in that they are feeling safe enough around your presence to be their true authentic self and let it out. So that's a beautiful gift and don't ever stop and shut down yourself and you're talking and discussing the person that Um, they loved so much around them or um, try not to show your own. I love when people cry about about the loss of my husband around me. I want people to have loved him as much as I loved him. That makes me feel good. It does not make me feel good when everybody else is like on with their lives and over this and I'm still the one person who can't let it go completely. Do you know what I mean? So if something like a song comes on the radio and we all know, oh my gosh, this was the song that so-and-so always did this goofy dance to or whatever, let's all have a laugh together and have some tears with it probably and have a moment, a real authentic moment. Let's not just all awkwardly get quiet, change the station, whatever, like someone starts talking real loud over it so no one notices. Like, come on, this person's still, you know, the person you're trying to support is still experiencing it no matter what. If they cry... You can check the box that you have now fully supported them. You've allowed them to process some grief and let it move through them, and and that's okay. Obviously, crying 24-7, that's not the end goal. And um, I always say BetterHelp is one of the companies that I really love to just point people in the direction of, this isn't an ad, I'm just saying I am on my website under the support section of HTTPS, canyoucurecancer.com, under the support section, there's always um, links there to additional help and support if you need it. If you find somebody who's crying 24-7, they probably do need additional support. And um, But again, throwing therapy in people's faces isn't the best way to support them either. Everything is a delicate act of just being in their shoes. I mean, a converse... If somebody said to me, wow, this is huge. I can't even imagine or fathom what you're going through. Um, I miss that sort of old light in you, and I know missing your person makes it so hard for it to shine, but maybe 
you should talk to somebody. What do you think that would help? I mean, I can't imagine if I was in your shoes, are you feeling like you want to talk to somebody? Or are you feeling like you're just not ready for that yet? Like, where are you at? Say that like a conversation, not like, Oh my gosh. Like, are we doing this again? You really need to talk to somebody. You need help. That's judgment. <laughs> not going to help. Or even if you just said like, yeah, wow. I mean, I'm thinking maybe if you just talked to somebody and got therapy and had someone that was like non-judgmental to talk to, even that feels judgy to me. Um, I've had people even say that like where, Oh, don't you, you know, maybe you could just have them talk to somebody like that's, it's, it's more like it's such a like gentle finesse of something about telling somebody they need counseling. In other words, I just don't think anybody else can ever really know for sure whether you're needing. And I think we know whether we need it, but, um, if you do observe it, you don't want to just neglect that either. But I just think it's all about the when and the where and the how, because one, it should be a private conversation, but it shouldn't be too judgmentally sounding because even when somebody's saying like, yeah, dude, what do you think about talking to someone? It still has that like fakey feel to it. To me, it's more about like a conversation, like a true, like in a moment when they're having that, like, cause we're talking about somebody who needs counseling. They're not functioning, right? They're not doing daily things that they need to do in order to fully be, um, healthy and well. So when that happens, there's obviously a lot of moments that you're observing that are making you feel this way about them. So wait till one of those moments arises. And then in that moment say, Oh man, yes. First acknowledge, like, I get it. I, I don't understand how you're feeling cause I've not been through it, but like, I hear what you are saying. Do you think like it would help to talk to a counselor or something? I can all know because I certainly can't, um, I'm not in your shoes. I've never been through that. And it sounds so awful. I would just hate for you to not have somebody to feel like you could talk to. Um, I had heard there's this company, it's supposed to be really good where there's all these different types and levels and maybe even just calling and saying, what do you think? I don't know. But you know, just that it sounds so much more human than something that's already obviously like pre-planned conversation in their, in your mind. <laughs> so, so weird and awkward sometimes it is. It's a tough one guys, but at the end of the day, we all want everybody safe. So I know, um, if there's any little nudge or sound, go, some bell going off saying, I think that they're, they're not dealing with this very well. And I think they need to talk to somebody. You need to find a way for them to wiggle it in and just do it in the best of ways because the last thing you want to do is have somebody who already seems like they're standing on the edge and um, you being that thing that just is like one more thing for them to have to handle. So instead, just be the friend and talk to them in a way that you would talk, you know, just what's going on in your mind. Just say it. Say it out loud. So often we are so filtered stop filtering yourself and just say it and be like, Oh my God, this sucks. I can't even imagine what it is you're going through. Do you think there's someone out there that like, this is what they do all day long and can figure out any like way out of this crazy box that you're stuck in? Like, I can't even imagine just be like that. Just be normal, natural and say like, Whoa, this is, it's so much like somebody that's got like some skills and seen this a few times before. Maybe they could actually like get you out of this. This is crazy. Like I, it's just overwhelming. No one should have to deal with that. I want better for you, whatever, but don't, um, continuously harp on it. Once you've planted that seed, I think, 
um, that can go a long way. But again, unless they're in, in danger and then you got to act. But guys, this has been a heavy one and I went on way longer than I usually do, but it's because there's so much good stuff around this topic. Um, there's so much that people do wrong and there's a lot that people do right. But figuring out what each person needs is definitely so unique to them that it's really hard to say this is the path to take. So whether it be supporting them through cancer, whether it be supporting them through major grief, they're all grief experiences and it's about the loss of the life they had. It's about not trying to disrupt their normal life, but instead help them figure out how to maintain as much of that normalcy as they can. I think that's the best way to support anybody. If you have a quiet person, still allow them their peace, but let them know that you are there and close by. If it's somebody who is used to being surrounded by love, support, and family, give them a ton of love, support, and family. Like Just meet them with what feels as normal as they can have right now because nothing in their world is normal. Um, that's my best advice, but communication, communication, they can likely tell you exactly what they need. They probably have, and you just haven't even been able to hear it. So just listen real carefully, put yourself in their shoes, and then just try to be human. (laughs) They love you because you're you. So just keep being you. And that's support. I mean, they, they chose you as a friend in their life or a family member. Well, maybe they didn't choose you as a family member. (laughs) Well, either way, they, uh, they have you in their life because they want you in their life. So um, you probably already know what it is they need. Don't try to overcomplicate it. Just allow them the life that they already had before all this shook their world upside down. So guys, that's it. Thank you so much. It was such a long episode. I know so much good stuff packed in there. So I'm so glad that you stuck around to the end. Come back and listen again because I've got another great episode coming your way. All right, bye guys. Thanks again.